So, Hare Krishna. Uh, welcome to our morning Bhagavatam class. Um, it's May 17th, 2020, still in Coronado. So, uh, here we go. Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya So, uh, today we're beginning with the... Um, First Canto, Chapter 7, Text 6, 176. Anartopashamang Bhakti Yoga Lokasya Jananto Chakre Satvata Sanghitam. So, let's put this in English word order. So Vidwan, if you look, if you if you have the Sanskrit in front of you, Vidwans, it's actually Vidwan, the wise person, the one who knows. Prabhupada translates it, the supremely learned, uh, one who has knowledge, Vidwan. Uh, Chakre made Satvata Sanghitang in the fourth line. Chakre made Satvata Sanghita. This. Uh, Vaishnava Sanghita, this Vaishnava compendium, the Bhagavatam. Uh, Satvata is used uh, to mean Vaishnavas. It's a, it's, it's a synonym for Vaishnava. And Sang means together, Hita, placed. So Sanghita, like Brahma Sanghita. Uh, Brahma, so uh, Satvata Sanghitam, a Vaishnava compendium put together. And he did it for... Uh, he did it for Lokasya, for the world, Ajanato, which does not know. Ajanato, which is literally not knowing. It's the present participle, actually. He did it for the world, which is not understanding that Bhakti Yogam, Bhakti Yoga Adhoksaje unto the Lord Krishna, Bhakti Yoga unto Lord Krishna is, and then going to the first line for English word order, that Bhakti Yoga unto Lord Krishna is Anartha Upashamam Sakshat. It is the direct, it is the direct way to, for Upashama. This is like the word Shanti. It comes from the same root as the word Shanti, which means peace. But Shanti or Shama here, the same word, means also to pacify, to pacify or to get rid of something in the sense of like calming it down, stopping it. And so it is It is the direct way, sakshad is, is the uh, way to get rid of anarthas. And so, so people don't know that. The world is not understanding that bhakti yoga unto Lord Adhoksaja is the immediate direct way to get rid of all their anarthas, everything which, and we'll talk about the word anartha. And so for them, for this world, uh, the wise one, Vyas, 
composed, made the Satvata Sanghita, this Vaishnav compendium, which is the Bhagavatam. It's interesting to note here that uh, Vyasadeva, there's no mention anywhere in the Bhagavatam uh, of Vyasa writing anything. Here, typically, you have the word, the verb, to do or to make. He did the Bhagavatam. He made the Bhagavatam, Chakra. So, uh, so anartha, let's think about the word anartha. Artha, in Sanskrit, uh, means purpose. For example, uh, if you put it at the end of another word, it means for the purpose of that thing, whatever that word is. Like, for example, bhakti artam means for the purpose of bhakti, or uh, shanti artam for the purpose of finding peace. And so it can mean purpose. Also, uh, it means value. Because if you think about it, how these ideas are related, if you have a purpose, it's because you value something. If you say, like, I want to be a good devotee, so that's your purpose. Why? Because you value being a good devotee. So a purpose is simply pursuing that which you value. So the word artha means value. It also means purpose. And... uh, it can also mean actually, because it means value, it can mean money. Because, you know, in many languages, uh, those words are synonymous. So, here you have the word unarta, something which is useless. It has no value. It has no purpose. It will not take you where you want to go. Uh, it's worthless. Worth means value. So, you could say it's worthless, useless, purposeless. Anartha. And so, unfortunately, our lives, uh, in our lives, we have a, a little collection of anarthas. I mean, we won't, we're not going to be like on those TV shows where everyone comes on and tells what all their problems are. I mean, we all know, everyone knows what their anarthas are. Everyone knows what they're struggling with or their bad habits or or things in our lives that we wish were not in our lives, whether it's emotions or attachments or relationships or whatever. So uh, everyone has their own little collection. But this is a universal tonic. This is a universal remedy for whatever in our life shouldn't be there. Uh, This is the way. Bhakti yoga, serious devotional service to Krishna. And of course, as I've tried to emphasize a few million times, um, Prabhupada really wanted us to spread his mission. So it's like to give is better than to receive. The more we try to give Krishna consciousness, the more we receive Krishna consciousness from Krishna. We really need to somehow or other be engaged in missionary activities in addition to whatever other duties we have if we want to be happy. That's where the happiness is. That's where the spiritual advancement is. And so... Uh, We'll go to the next verse now. That would now one seven seven. Yasyang vai shu yamanayang Krishna paramapurushe bhakti utpadyate pumsak shoka moha bhayapaha. So Yasyang vai indeed when that Satvata Sanghita, when that Bhagavatam is being heard, when it is being heard. And it's very interesting because, again, we have a, well, passive, present participle. 
which means that not that when you hear it, like you hear the Bhagavatam, but when it is being heard, this is an, an ongoing activity. This is something we have to keep going when it is indeed being heard. And even the word vai, actually or indeed, means we have to really be hearing it. So when that Bhagavatam is being heard, Krishna, in Krishna, in Krishna, Paramapurusha, in the Supreme Person, Bhakti Upadhyate, Bhakti arises. Bhakti arises in Krishna, or for Krishna, we might say in English. Uh, so devotion for Krishna arises. Utpadyate. Ut means up and pad means go. So it arises. Prabhupada says it sprouts up. So bhakti utpadyate pungsa for a person. Bhakti, real devotion. Because, well, it'll say here. So real devotion for Krishna, the Supreme Person, arises in a person. And that devotion is shoka moha vayapaha. It literally drives away. It drives away. That devotion drives away shoka, lamentation, moha, illusion, and paya, fear. So, uh, in our life, in our lives, there is some lamentation, there is some illusion, and we are anxious about things. We, we, we are afraid of different things, or we fear that something may happen, or we fear something may not happen. But all that lamentation, illusion, and fear, uh, bhakti drives it away. And so that bhakti arises. It, 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 as Prabhupada said, sprouts up. It, it, it arises in us when the Bhagavatam is really being heard. When the Bhagavatam is really being heard, then that devotion to Krishna, the Supreme Person, arises in a person and it drives away our illusion, our our uh, lamentation and our fear. So this is a great deal. You know, this is really... I mean, the Bhagavatam is just telling you, like, look. It's telling us, look, you want to be happy, right? You don't want to be afraid of things. You don't want to be an illusion. You don't want to lament. But here's how you do it. Just listen to this Bhagavatam. And you will, you will develop devotion for Krishna. And then you'll have a great life. Krishna consciousness so it's it actually is that simple you know people say it's not that simple well it is that simple so then sa meaning uh, he Vyasa Sanghitang Bhagavatim that Bhagavata compendium uh, Kritwa having made it again not writing the verb Again, the same verb is used. He made it. He did it. Not that he wrote it. So, having made that uh, that um, Bhagavata compendium and Anukramya and having gone over it. So, some things have never changed. You know, 5,000 years, you write something. Not right. You compose, in this case, Vyas composed it and then, he, you know, after you compose something or in our day we write it, you have to go over and edit it. And that's what Vyas did. He did it. It's interesting, because even though he's Vyas, he's an avatar, but he still went back and edited his work. Kritwa Anukramya, Chat Majam. So his son, 
Atma Jam. Atma means self, and Jam means born, so born from his self. So his 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 son, Shukam, Adhyapayamasa, he taught him. And it's an interesting verb form in Sanskrit. Adhyaya means study. Literally, Adhyaya means to go over something. Adi means over, and Aya means going. So the word common word for study in Sanskrit is literally to go over something, which is interesting because we speak that way also. And here you have adhyapayamasa, which means he made his son Shuka go over it. He made his son Shuka go over it, which is a way of saying he taught him. And Shuka, who was nibritti niratang muni, who was a muni, a sage, who had... Uh, who was engaged in nibriti? He was the he was really absorbed in. He was really taking pleasure in nibriti. Briti means function, and ni means that you withdraw. In other words, sannyas life. For example, uh, there's a natural desire in practically everyone uh, to associate with the opposite sex, and so there are two strategies for dealing with this. Uh, one strategy is called prabriti, which means you get married. The other strategy is nibriti, where you simply, you know, you don't do it. You, you withdraw from that type of activity and just transcend it. So, uh, Shuka was nibriti nirata. He was not only not going to get married, he was a renounced person, but he was really enjoying it. He was having a great time. He wasn't like a you know frustrated bachelor. He was having a really good time uh, because if you can do it, if someone is able uh, to live, even though there may be some natural desire in the material mind, but if one can just live that way, then it's a and be happy. It's it's a really great simple life. I at least I personally am definitely a satisfied customer. So he taught his son Vyas, and and so. Of course, the famous, very famous Atma Rama verse is coming up. The fact that Shuka was really enjoying his renounced life. He was having a very good time. He was very happy and satisfied. And so Vyasadev, uh, Vyasa taught him, his son, the Bhagavatam. But now Shonika. Shonika is really brilliant. If you look at the Bhagavatam, uh, Shonika Rishi, whom we don't talk about so much, is really one of the most interesting figures in the Bhagavatam. He is the leader of a group of sages at Nami Sharanya that are hearing from Sutta. And he often makes really interesting questions and when he himself speaks the Bhagavatam because he could have spoken it. Um, quite eloquent. Very interesting sage, Shonika. Anyway, so hearing this, that Vyas taught his son this large work, the Bhagavatam, Shonika has a question. And he's going, and the answer to this question, of course, is the Atmarama verse. So the question is, Savai Nibriti Niratak. So he was indeed taking pleasure in uh, renounced life. So Shonaka is confirming, yes, in, he was indeed uh, engaged in that way. Sarvatro Pekshakomuni, he was a sage, as you said, he was a Muni. And everywhere, Sarvatra means everywhere, he was Upekshaka, he was indifferent. 
literally, Upeksha means one who is just looking away. In other words, something's happening, you just look the other way because you're not interested. That's Upeksha. Upa Someone who's just looking away, not interested. So he, he was like that everywhere. There was nothing in the material world that really interested him. So Sarvatra Upeksha Muni, and he was a Muni. So Kasyava. Brihatim etang atma rama samabhyasat. So, for like for what? Because means sort of like for what? Then, if if that was his spiritual status, then for what? Did he samabhyasat? Did he uh, carefully study abhyasat? Uh, means to um, really thoroughly get into, you know, study something here or, or practice something. So he was Atma-Rama. This is Atma, the self, A-Rama. Krishna says in the Gita, Atma-Rati-Revasya, that, that um, one should be Atma-Rati. You should find pleasure in the self. Uh, we don't need all kinds of external things. If we are really in touch with the soul, with our real self, and of course Krishna is right next to us in the heart, then uh, you have your own sort of home entertainment uh, device. Because just chanting Krishna's names, hearing the Bhagavatam, uh, you feel that pleasure. You're really, you're happy just in yourself. Which is great, because then we, we don't depend on other people and other things. That autonomy, that independence, is that dignity and self-control that you really take charge of your own life. You don't have to, we don't have to embarrass ourselves by trying to win the favor or the attention of someone who, it's just, we, we get compromised. We, we find ourselves in many, uh, let's say, uncomfortable situations when we have to depend on other people for so many things. Of course, many people have to work, they have to get a job, and you know we know that's not, you have to do it if you have a family, but it's, it's not the best thing. But we do it. But then if emotionally, you know, I have to, like, I can't be happy by myself. If someone approves of me, if someone likes me or gives me attention, I can be happy. It's like, really? It's so much more, um, enjoyable life if you have that independence, freedom, that you're happy within yourself. And of course, we have friends we, and, and we care about our friends and, uh, and all that, but, but it's coming from, as the modern way of speaking is, from a place of, I don't know how that became so popular, but, it's, but we are uh, maintaining true friendships, loving relationships and friendships but not because we're needy, but just out of goodness and out of, out of affection. And when we're not needy, we're not vulnerable. It's, it's like handing someone a weapon and saying, you know, please don't, like here's a gun, but don't shoot me. Uh, when we're not materially attached, there's spiritual love and spiritual affection. And when we're not materially attached, we're not vulnerable. People do not have the power to, to use the old expression, bring us down. People don't have the power to make us unhappy. We enjoy their company, 
We can have loving relationships. We do have loving relationships. People just don't have power over us. Someone else can't decide whether I will be happy or not. The only person who really can decide that is Krishna. Krishna will decide what's best for me and what situation you know I should be in. But other conditioned souls do not have that power over me. So each one of us has the power to make ourselves happy and to be free and independent. And Sukha was actually there. Savai nibrita nibriti niratak sarvatro muni, I've explained. So kasya, for what reason? Like for what? Literally just for what? Kasyava brihating etang. This brihat, of course, means big or great, like the brihat mridanga. Uh, and so uh, here you have the feminine, brihati. Brihat is masculine, feminine is brihati. So brihatin etang, this large, this great work, big work, which is the Bhagavatam. Atmarama, he already being Atmarama, self taking pleasure in the self, he made a, a thorough study of it. Why? For what? If he was already there, if he was already Atmarama. So, and the answer is the famous Atmarama verse. Sutta Vacha. Sutta said, Atmaramas cha. Atmaramas cha. It's a plural. So, also Atmaramas. Sages, Munayo. Munayo is just the plural of Muni. So, sages. So, also sages who are Atmarama. Nirgrantha api. Even though they're not tied to this world, granta means uh, a knot. It means something which is tied. So near granta, you, you're not tied to this world. Even though those sages are near granta. Granta also means book, actually, because in the old days they used to write on uh, palm leaf in South Indian birch bark on North India, and then they would tie the little pages together. So because of Books were literally tied with string. They were called gruntas. So anyway, so sages who are Atmarama, even though they have no ties to this world, Urukrame, Kurvanti, Haitu, Kim, Vaktim, they still render loving service to Urukrama, Krishna, uh, which is a Haitu king, uh, has no motive. It's, uh, Prabhupada translates a Haituki uh, unalloyed. Hetu, Hetu, I've explained this many times, Hetu in Sanskrit means a cause. It can also mean a, a mental cause, which the word in English is motive, a motive, a motive, because you think of the relation between motive and motor, like, so a motive is literally something that pushes you, a, a, a mental cause, it causes you mentally. In other words, it's a motive. So, that's heitu, and then haituka means something that has a motive. It's not unmotivated, just pure. It has a personal motive here. The idea is a personal motive. And so, haituki is just the feminine, because bhakti is a feminine word, and a haituki. So, bhakti, which has no material motive, that is the devotional service they render to the Lord, even though they are Atmarama, sages, and even though they have no tie to this world. And why? Why do they do that? 
because itang bhuta guno hari because hari has such qualities within him existing within him he has such qualities itam means such uh, such gunas such qualities in him so spiritually attractive that even those who are self-satisfied they also uh, are motivated without no material motive no material motive but they are spiritually inspired to serve him to devote themselves to him. So that's the famous Atma Rama verse. And the reason this verse is so important and the reason Lord Chaitanya gave it so much attention is because it shows that Krishna consciousness is above the material platform and above the impersonal platform. Because if Krishna's body was material, which is not the case, if Krishna came with the material body, then why would, why would sages who have no interest in anything material, why would they be devoted to Krishna? So, and again, so Krishna's body is not material and the emotion of bhakti, the feeling of love for Krishna is not a material feeling, which is what the impersonalists try to peddle. That's what, you know, that's their, that's their line. That, um, you know, Liberation means we free of all material emotions, and bhakti is just it's sort of a way to try to channel your material emotions into something which is better than just gross materialism. So it's still material emotion. Bhakti is still material emotion, but it's better than lower material emotions. At least it's focused on something which will eventually lead you to Brahman. And the whole point here is no. The feeling of devotion for Krishna, attachment to Krishna is totally not material. And the proof that people, sages, who are satisfied in the soul, they're, they're taking intense, and, and this is not simply Rama, it's Arama, Atma Arama, which means intense pleasure. They're taking intense pleasure in the pure soul. They, near Grantha, they have no tie to this world. Munio, they're sages. They devote themselves to Krishna because Krishna's qualities are pure spiritual qualities. He has such qualities, Hari, that he attracts even these liberated souls. So that's the importance of the Atma verse. Prabhupada, of course, gives very long purport, and Lord Chaitanya gives even a much longer purport to this. So maybe we'll do one more verse and then see if there's any questions. So if you have any questions, please send them in. Harer gunak shiptamatir bhagavan badarayani adhyagan maharakyanam maharakyanam nityam vishnu jana priyaha. So we're speaking of badarayani who is the son of Bhadarayana, in other words, Shukha. Bhadarayana, Bhadarayana is Vyasa, and his son is Bhadarayani. So, Bhadarayani, Bhagavan, he, so Shukha is here called Bhagavan, Lord Shukha, you could say. So, Lord Shukha, uh, Mati, his consciousness, his mind was Akshipta. It was just completely taken 
by Harer Guna, by Hari's qualities, Krishna's qualities, completely like grasp the mind, we just seize the mind of Shuka. His mind was completely absorbed in it. Bhagavan Lord Bhadarayani. And Adhyagan Maharakyanam. And he literally went over. In other words, he studied. Adhyagan Maharakyanam. This great, it was called Brihat team, and, and Mahat is a synonym, of course, of Brihat. This great or this very large uh, text, Adhyagan Maharakyanam. And Shuka is Nityam, always Vishnu Jana Priyaha, dear to Priya, dear to, loved by Vishnu Jana, literally Vishnu's people. That's what Vishnu Jana means, Vishnu's people. So they, Shuka is always dear to the devotees, in other words. And he uh, went over this great text. Uh, because his mind was uh, just completely taken by the qualities of the Lord. Let's see if I can find for you real quick uh, that word akshipta, which is the word saying what happened to his mind, caught, seized. His mind was caught by the qualities of Krishna. He was seized by it, overcome he was just over, he was charmed, he was transported. So I think those synonyms, you know, really give you a nice little picture there of what the Bhagavatam is saying. His mind was charmed, transported, seized, caught uh, by the qualities of Krishna, which is something we experience. When we are in Krishna consciousness, the quality of Krishna, the quality of his name, the quality of his spiritual abode are just, uh, whoops, sorry, the phone slipped. Uh, they're just beyond everything. Krishna, the spiritual quality of Krishna, the Vrindavan, of uh, his pure devotees, Radha, Krishna, his pastime, it, it has a spiritual quality which just completely carries away the mind because it's so beautiful, it's so sublime. And it has nothing to do with material qualities. That's the idea here. So let's look at the questions. Uh, only one question. In today's world, should we pay more attention to the message of the Bhagavatam or the texts themselves? Uh, well, they're the same. <laughs> the Of course, the message is important, but the Bhagavatam is beautiful, and Prabhupada could have just given us the message, but he, he actually translated the Bhagavatam. I think he really wanted us to read it. In fact, I know he wanted us to, because when Prabhupada was here, he used to complain that his devotees, disciples, were not reading his books. So yes, he really wanted us to read the Bhagavatam. Who wrote down the Bhagavatam text? Is this known? That's a very good question. Actually, no, it's not known. It's mysterious. It's mystical. Uh, it just appears, which is what Lord Chaitanya said to Devananda Pandit in the Chaitanya Bhagavata, Chaitanya Bhagavata, that the um, the Bhagavatam is like the other. It's an avatar of Krishna. It just appears. So uh, that's remarkable because the Bhagavatam 
is such a brilliant text from any point of view, from the point of view of material literature, from the point of view of spiritual literature. It's just, it, it's a super text, and everyone knows it. And, and naturally, the mundane scholars, they speculate, yes, it's probably maybe written in this region, or, but, but it's just totally unknown. That such a book could just suddenly appear and there's no idea who wrote it, no legend, nothing. It just appears. So that alone I find amazing. And it strongly indicates to me that, uh, that, it, it, that it's, just, it's just Krishna's avatar. It just appears. Because it's, to me it's virtually impossible that a human being could just write it a book of that quality, which is, I mean, again, even in terms of material literature, it's just, it's like a super literature, and the scholars admit that. Come up with such an amazing, powerful, brilliant book, and no one noticed who wrote it, there's no legend about it, there's no, well, traditionally it's attributed to this, no, nothing, it just appears. And of course, Lord Chaitanya said the Bhagavatam is like Krishna's avatars, or like the sun. The sun appears and disappears over our head, but it's always in the sky. So at a certain, it's, so it's not that we have a record of the Bhagavatam being read, studied, uh, and so on throughout Indian history. It's certainly there in ancient times when Krishna was here, and then it's, it sort of vanishes, and no one talks about it, and then boom, it appears again. Uh, you know, many centuries before Lord Chaitanya come, came, and no one knows how it reappeared like that. It, that's why I'm saying, because we know how it originally was composed by Vyasa, but then uh, later in history, it just appears. And I find that astonishing, and I think there's absolutely no material explanation for that. There's no material explanation. Things like that don't happen. Texts like that don't just appear where no one notices who wrote it. It doesn't happen. How is it the Bhagavatam has survived corruption, as Sri Padmadvacharya said, whereas other, well, Sri Padmadvacharya says that the Mahabharata is corrupted. He doesn't really speak about the Bhagavatam, at least not in that book. Whereas other Vedic texts might become somehow twisted. Are there, is there more precise information? Um, well, we know the Vedas are intact, and we know that, I remember my professor at Harvard, who was a world-famous scholar of the original Vedas, said that the text has been preserved so well that if you hear, say, the Rig Veda chanted, it's like a tape recording from thousands of years ago. So the Brahmins were this. The, the Brahmins had extraordinary powers of memorizing. Of course, Mahabharata was, was not perfectly memorized like the Veda, because in the term, in the case of the Veda, the power was in the sound itself, as you see in the Bhagavatam, the story of um, Vritra, where. Uh, his uh, his father, um, uh, Twista, uh, wanted to avenge his son, who was killed by Indra. So he wanted to create a a monster, this powerful creature, who would be the mortal enemy who would kill Indra. So what he needed to chant, he's chanting like you know hundreds and hundreds of mantras. So he needed what what he needed to chant into the fire was uh, Indra Shatru. Sorry about that. 
Indra Shatru. That's what he wanted to chant, which means Indra will be, that he will create a creature who will be the mortal enemy of Indra. Let me just warn this one second. He, um, this we won't call again. So he needed to chant Indra Shatru, which means I will create this creature who will be the mortal enemy of, uh, of Indra. But instead, he just, one accent was wrong. Instead of chanting, this is in the Bhagavatam, instead of chanting Indra Shatru, he, he, he chanted Indra Shatru. Indra Shatru, which means Indra will be the mortal enemy of this creature and kill him. So because in the Vedas, the actual sound, the physical sound, the phonemes were everything, they memorized. In the case of the Mahabharata, it was not the actual sound, it was the story. The story was important, and therefore it wasn't memorized. And also it's much bigger, so for various reasons it wasn't memorized as effectively. The Bhagavatam, you don't really have this um, transmission issue. It's not a text which goes through thousands of years of oral history. It's just, it's there, it's not there, and then boom, it appears again. And when it appears, it appears in this perfect Sanskrit, and no one knows how it got there. It just appears in Indian history. So uh, anyway, how can we know we read the very original script? Oh, we know because Lord Chaitanya certified it. Lord Chaitanya used to listen to the Bhagavatam a lot, and if it's good enough for Lord Chaitanya, it's good enough for me. So, can we say that the appearance of the Brahma Sanghita is similarly mystical? Yeah, you could say that. It's, it's this, yeah, no one knows who the other. Yeah, it, it appears Lord Chaitanya found it. He just found this little book in South India, all the way down at the southern end of India. Lord Chaitanya found it and brought it back to North India. So, yeah, I think it is mystical. So, if those are all the questions, uh, I'd like to thank everyone for listening. I, uh, thank you for your, for attending our little class. And uh, is there one other question? Let's see here. Oh. Was, okay. So thank you all very much and I hope you're all safe and happy and Krishna conscious and hope uh Hope next week you'll be there again. All right, Krishna.